Hello, and welcome to the Pause for Thought podcast with Westland High School Theater. I'm Stephen Beckingham, the Theater Arts Program Director at Westland High School, and this is Episode 2, Read the Chart, a chat with my dear friend John Jordan, a hairstylist and makeup artist in the professional acting world. He has worked with the likes of Eartha Kitt, Lou Diamond Phillips, Mark Shaman, Tony Collette, Faith Prince, Matthew Broderick, and plenty of others. Some of his theater credits include The Wizard of Oz, Anything Goes, Pippin, Tommy, The Lion King. Film and TV, he won an Emmy for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, creating wigs for Fosse Verdon. He's worked on the film Annie with Jamie Foxx, Cafe Society, The Greatest Showman, and most recently he worked on The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is now available on Netflix. I had the absolute pleasure of working with John and getting to know him during the Broadway national tour of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, starring Kathleen Turner and Bill Irwin. I understudied the role of Nick, and John Jordan worked on hair of mine that I used to have. I, of course, had an amazing experience, and John Jordan made it that much better. He is a man of many delightful stories, and uh, he's a killer cook, I gotta say. Here is my chat with John Jordan. Enjoy. Welcome to the Pause for Thought podcast, John Jordan. We're so lucky to have you, and thank you for taking the time. Um, John Jordan is a uh, hairstylist and makeup artist. He's worked on Broadway and TV and film. Um, Some of his credits include The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which he won an Emmy for. Um, Things like Saturday Night Live, Fosse Verdon, uh, The Wizard of Oz with Eartha Kitt, The Lion King, Hairspray with Harvey Firestein, Equus King and I, the list goes on. On Oh, and one of his most recent things, which maybe you can talk about, is The Child of the Chicago 7, which I think is coming out on Netflix soonish, or is it already out? It is. It actually opened in theaters yesterday, in oh, selected right, right. theaters yesterday, and then it'll open on Netflix in October 15th. Fantastic. So first off the bat, I mean, what, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Good. You know, I had my hip replaced about nine weeks ago. Ooh. And the pain is subsiding? No, please. I'm more spry than ever. Yes. There's no pain. Oh, good. Like I woke up and there was, from the operation, there was no pain. And, you know, I've been going to therapy and stuff, but it's good. It's good. Fantastic. Do you notice a difference? Oh, I totally notice a difference. Yeah. You know, I had, I had t- torn a muscle in my hip and over the space of a year, like there were calluses and then it was bone on bone. So right. that walking on that every day, it was really painful. Waking up, I couldn't sleep on sure. it. You can only take so many um, ibuprofen. Yeah, and now it's so much better. That's fantastic. You know, I go to therapy a couple of times a week, and yesterday I was out all day long in the world. That brings me to the next thing I was going to ask you about is the world in terms of um, just COVID, and <laughs> you know, New York got hit hard one of our one of our friends david fur i couldn't believe that got covid while while um carrie was pregnant and i was just like how was that how are they coping it's insane yeah well he i think he quarantined for two weeks before he went yeah. back um but yeah uh i never got it uh That's but good. i also <laughs> was super careful and i've stayed inside and i've worn masks and gloves and sanitizer and all that stuff. But uh, New York is, uh, you know, thank God for the um, the governor because he guided New York through this, I think. And people are, they're still wearing masks. You know, New Yorkers, they don't bother. Okay, I put on a mask, fine. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, but uh, I think at the end of October, I'm going back to work. Nice. Uh, so Lion King? Or, no, no, Lion King will probably not open until January, and I'm gone from there completely. Uh, I left there oh, to see, go do news. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I was going to say, that's news to me. We haven't talked for a while. So yeah. so that chapter of your life is over. Can you talk just briefly, you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, what that experience um, 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 on Lion King was? And this is the you know Broadway Lion King. 
Um, it was amazing. Um, such an amazing, loving cast, you know, a huge show every day. So, um, and I supervised it. Uh, I had the best time there um, working at, at the Lion King. Made a ton of friends that I'm still all friends with, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and who uh, are your you know, favorites? The, Come on, Dish. Who are your favorites? Come on. Oh, well, Derek Smith, who played Scar okay. uh, for a long time, was amazing. Um, as a matter of fact, we're having lunch on Friday. But Sidi um, <laughs> uh, Manye, who plays Rafiki, the baboon, mm-hmm. uh, she's just, they're all just lovely. I just yeah, had the best time. Of course. And learn stuff about, you know, so many different cultures, because there's like seven kinds of cultures um asian cultures in um the lion king which i didn't know you know sometimes they they use they they speak in japanese and sometimes they speak in swahili and you know it's all mixed together really interesting one of the great things about a multicultural city like new york it's like you don't have a choice but to kind of be immersed in that diversity and it just becomes normalcy as opposed yeah. to other communities and 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 cities where it's sort of like, you know, young kids don't get to to experience that diversity, and I think that's a it's a big problem. Yeah, and the Lion King really does it well. You know, it's 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 based for kids. You know, to teach kids about about a family and you know what's important in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it has a re- really good, positive message, which is why it's been running for such a long time. Yeah. They're out there now, but they're going back in January, I think, to rehearse, and then they go back into performance in March. Wow. And it will be a year that they have been out of work on Broadway. So in performance, uh, like 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 video performance or... Are we talking with limited audience? I mean, I obviously I have no idea what what stage Broadway is at. Yeah, I think with limited audience, mm-hmm. and I think they're making it so that it is uh, COVID friendly. I think they will take your temperature when you come in the building. Um, make sure that you have a mask to enter the theater. They'll put people two seats away from each other, you know, just so that you are safe. COVID friendly. That's like it's such a funny phrase. It's like, yeah, just bring your COVID in. We'll make sure that uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that it has a good time. Uh um, okay, so then so the next gig, what what are you what are you what are you jumping into? Um, a thing called The Gilded Age, which was written by uh Julian Fellows, who wrote Downton Abbey. Oh yeah. And it's about, it takes place in New York and Rhode Island in 1888. Uh, so like the age of industrialization, but it's oh, about nice. like the Vanderbilts, the um, the Rockefellers, you know, the people who sort of built New York and the world and industrialized everything. Julian Fellows doing something non-British. That's, that's, that's novel. I know. But he can certainly do the time period pieces though, that's for sure. He's so, you know, like I've been looking for his stuff online. There's on, um, yeah, on Amazon, on Netflix and stuff. He's so prolific. Well, what's the, what's the Robert Altman? That was him, wasn't it? Didn't Julia Fellows write the, the Robert Altman film? Um, like the first foray into the kind of upstairs, downstairs servants kind of. Oh, maybe. What was that movie with like Dame Maggie and everybody? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to. Now I'm going to have to Google it. What's wrong with me? Julian Fellows, come on. Uh, Downton Abbey. No, no, but it was the uh, it was the um, film a long time ago. Maybe he didn't write it. I don't know. But it kind of start. It sort of started that. Uh, Godsford Park. It's Godsford Park. Oh, right. Godsford Park. Is that him? I don't know. I'm going to see if he wrote it. He wrote it. Julian Fellows. Yeah. Robert Altman directed Julian Fellows, and there were just a a crap ton of stars. Uh, his new thing, like they were supposed to go work in May, but you know, of course, this thing happened. Mm-hmm. So we're going back in October, I think, and at the end of October, 
uh, and it stars um, um, Cynthia Nixon. Mm. In the she's been in New York for a long time, right? I mean, she's been a working. Yeah. I mean, she was a child actress. But she's done stage stuff. and Oh, at one point she was doing two things. She was covering a role <laughs> at one theater and doing a role at the other theater. And if she wasn't, if, if they, she something happened, she went on at the other theater and they put her understudy on in her show. Oh, my gosh. So she was collecting two paychecks at one point. Oh, my gosh. And I'm sure that was after Sex in the City. No, it was before Sex in the City. It was just before? she Okay. Because cause you know how, I mean, you probably experienced this, but it seems to me that like a lot of New York actors, um, I mean, at least some of them I know, like I know tons, no, but they'll, they'll, they'll sort of, they'll sort of do that. It doesn't matter to them. It's like, as long as I work and if theater's my love, I'll go back to theater anytime. Because, you know, they'll oh, yeah. be in, they'll do some sort of big TV or film credit and then it's like you see them on stage again. Right. They don't, they don't, they don't care. Work is work. Oh, it's true. So, who's in this cast besides her? A bunch of people, a bunch of Broadway people too, are in it. So you might actually, you might actually know a few people just getting on set already. Yeah, you know, it was amazing the season, the season that I was the key on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. How many theater people they used? Oh yeah, like a ton of theater people. Okay, now talk about that. I mean, what's so? What's the what do you what do you put down? What do you say the big draw to uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel was? What why did it explode? Besides just obviously talent and writing. I mean, what was the what brought it all together for awards and 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 just the popularity? In your well, opinion? I think you know as far as the creative team went, as far as like you know costume and sets and script and hair and makeup and everything we were all on the same page which is why that year we were all nominated for emmys that year sure so it was a big family unit kind of thing yeah and and a lot of the shows that i've worked on that were huge successes were because everyone was on the same page Mm -hmm. i mean that's what happened i think at hairspray you know all of the artistic all the department heads all the designers they were all on the same page Right, And so they were all working towards the same thing. And that's why it's important, you know, like when you work on a theater piece to make sure you communicate with other people besides what you do, no matter what it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I was just going to say, um, I mean, it's not like the thing that we worked on, uh, the thing uh, Virginia Woolf, it's not like it was a huge cast or a huge crew or anything, but, but, you know, y- y- you can tell just from that, it's like a big personality can either, can either divide or, or, you know, <laughs> bring in people when they want to. I, it's, it's curious how, if someone chooses to, uh, if if an actor or even even someone on a crew like decides decides like they're too big for this or something like that and i'm not saying that happened on virginia wolf i'm just saying that there's a um there's a potential for things like that happen and it feels like that's the kind of thing that would just destroy that family unit or that collaboration right i'm sure yeah. you've experienced it where you get a personality and you just kind of go oh my god i don't want to be around this person oh and yeah oh absolutely and uh, the, you don't have the, to go into detail. <laughs> it's just in the general. stuff that I've been um, on that like also is like a huge success from the, you know, like the crew and the cast and everything. It's because the person at the top, because it's mm-hmm. a trickle down thing, the person who's the star of the show, like, you know, when I did The King and I, it was Lou Diamond Phillips. He was a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And so every day he came to work, he was happy to come to work. Well, the dancers were then all happy to come to work at the stage hands. And, you know, it made for a really positive experience. And um, that happens. uh, That happens a lot. If the person who's the star is, you know, is positive and wants to be there and, you know, is with everybody, then you have a really positive experience. And sometimes, you know, the person in charge is an idiot. And you don't have that experience. <laughs> well, 
I, thanks to you, I had the pleasure of, of meeting Lou Diamond Phillips in LA and, um, he was just top notch. Just a oh, yeah. wonderful personality. And he loved telling his stories just like you do, but just a nice, nice guy. Yeah. Really, really sweet guy. Really nice guy. Um, he's back I, in New York right now doing a TV series. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, for Fox. There's a one season of it on. If you want to watch it, it's on Fox. It's called Prodigal Son. Oh, cool. And, you know, the idea is that like there's these detectives always look for serial killers. And Uh so they find this serial killer who's imitating a serial killer that's in jail. And so they get this um, this guy who is, you know, sort of. Famous for figuring it out. I don't know what they call him. And you find out in the first episode that that guy who's the one who's tracking the serial killer. Yeah is the guy's son who's in jail. Wait, did you just, was that a spoiler? No, it's in oh, the okay. first episode. That's oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> oh, I'll look at that. Yeah. No, Lou Diamond Phillips was, was really cool. And I, I, I remember, I remember I couldn't help bringing up La Bamba. <laughs> of course. Oh, and Courage Under Fire. We talked about both of those films because I just remember those being films that I remember when I was young. Yeah. Um, so in, I'm going back to Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. If you don't mind, just because um, we had one of our thespians, Caleb Ken, ask, well, I'll read out what she said. She said, first of all, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is my favorite show, and I have watched it twice. Uh, what is it like to work with Rachel? I'm going to I'm gonna say Brosnahan. Is that right? Brosnahan? Yeah, like, yeah. How do you draw, ins- well, what's it like to work with her? And then how do you draw inspiration for her style? It fits her character so well. Looks like John Jordan did a really good job and did his job well, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't do her. My boss did her on the show. Oh, okay. She, she was lovely. Um, I, I was the key, which is like the second. Yeah. Why don't you explain that? Ex- describe that, actually. That's great. That's a great segue. Just to- So the, the, the key hairdresser is the person who's the second. Like when, you know, you, do, you go to the head of the department, he's the designer, really. Right. And so everything sort of goes through him. But then you do everyone, you know that he sort of tells you to. So on that season, I did uh, the maid, Zelda, the father-in-law, Moish, the, um, what else did I do? The the brother, uh, really anyone that wandered into the trailer after that. And he did, (laughs) uh, he, you know, he did her. uh, Well, she had her own hairdresser. This girl Mm -hmm. Peg did her hair. And uh, he took care of the other mother-in-law. Charlie and um, the father and oh, I took care of the kids, the twins that played her son. All right. Um, and then anyone who was on the switchboard, any famous person that came to play, I took care of them. Sure. So there was a, a there was a lot of work to be had, and sure. you know he had books and books of research on you know what he, what what people would look like. They sort of developed a look for her that was like Mm. this page boy, the costume designer, loved her, built all of her costumes, built all of her hats. You know, she had hats and purses and everything that matched. I think she had a rack of just black dresses that she wore when she was performing. (laughs) Was there a kind of fusion at all? I mean, could you, you know, I've seen some of it, but is... Could you say that there's a there's a bit of a, a a a twist here and there, or would you would you describe it as no no it's pure period, um, you know all the lines all the <clears throat> patterns are very much taken from the time period. Yeah, I mean I think they did that with her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they you know they sort of you, we had people complain that she swore too much that she you know said the f word too much. But, you know, she was in nightclubs and stuff. Uh, you know, in the pilot, she is standing up on stage doing her thing. And she, like, pulls her dress open and shows her boobs to the audience. And then she gets arrested. And they have to come bail, bail her out. And, you know, she has, like, two kids at home. And her her husband is the one who wants to really be a, a stand-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's loosely based on um, Phyllis Diller. Phil Stiller was a stand-up in the beginning in like 
black dresses and elbow gloves and, right. you know, beautiful hair. And then, you know, as she went on, she got crazier looking, you know, so it's kind of based on little on her, a little on Joan Rivers. But Joan Rivers always had this sort of where she made fun of herself. Joan Rivers, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, Speaking of Joan Rivers, Lyra, my daughter, no, both of them, both my Lyra and my, my son, Devin, I actually showed them Spaceballs for the first time. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but you just said Joan Rivers, and I just thought. Um, I was going to ask, the. Um, it, I mean, the show seems like a bit of a hybrid because it's sort of like, oh, it's a period show, but then you've got all these topical issues that are completely in your face, you know, where there yeah. be kind of like gay characters, there's there's race, there's there's the, you know, the main character being kind of outrageous. And I mean, what, you know, what were there discussions about that kind of thing? Do you think that is one of the things that that drew in the audiences? No, I mean, I think the writer, uh, what's her name, Amy, I think she and her husband just wrote it and handed us the scripts and said, here's what I'd like, mm -hmm. you know, for them. So as far as our work, you know, as far as hair for all the people that are the leads, plus um, all the hair, uh, you know, for the background, for people who were like, you know, customers in stores and people on the street, that's all strictly period. It is as close to period as we can get it. Sure. And it starts in 1958. Mm -hmm. Like this year, when it starts filming in January, it'll be 1961. Right. So, and my, I felt like we, I, I had worked back around the first year, but the year that I was the key, I felt like it was like the, it was like the most popular, you know, and people talked about it. Mm -hmm. It was, well, it was all over everything. Yeah. I just, I think it's, I just, I commend the writers and the creative team for, for going to, to places that you might not have expected though. I think that's, I mean, I just think it's really cool. Um, so, um, hey, Emmy, Emmy man, um, <laughs> you got it? Yeah! <laughs> okay, so for you who are listening, he just, he just showed me, his, is it heavy? Is that heavy? Yeah, it's about six pounds. Holy cow, it's six So you can do like it, some dumbbell workouts in the morning or something. Yeah. They so you have you your night. Dunkin' Donuts in one hand and your Emmy in the other and just sort of. Exactly. I love it. That's congratulations, my friend. That's so awesome. Um, I was just so just for funsies. Uh, yeah. Give me that day. Give me that day, sir. If you can, if you remember waking up and like yeah. going well, and all, uh, were you, you know, did you first of all, did you think it was a shoe in where you're like, we're so just walking away with it or no. were you like, oh, I'm not sure. We, we <laughs> were the, we were the favorites, but okay. also, um, uh, What's the name of that show? Uh, the Crown. Uh, oh, The Crown. No, no. Uh, oh. Because that that's a different series. Uh, Game of Thrones was nominated with oh, us. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. And all night long, whenever somebody was nominated with them, they won. <laughs> so so when, like... we, when we got to our category, uh, so, and it's best hair for a single camera series. Right. Um, and they started to say the nominees. My niece, Nicole, was with me. Oh, and yeah, I said, that's right, Nicole. I said, if they win, I'm going to spit nickels. She was like, they're not going to win. And then we won. That, you know, like, so they called our name and we got up. We, I screamed. We got up and, you know, up on stage and. And my boss was the only one allowed to speak. So he spoke. We all stood up there. And um, um, uh, what's his name? They had a theater guy give us the 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 Tony. I mean, the uh, the Emmy. Um, three names. I can't remember. Three names. Hosted the Tonys. Oh. Uh, um, uh, Pat uh, Neil Patrick Harris? Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. And I had done Sweeney Todd with Neil Patrick Harris, so we get up on you stage. You did Sweeney Todd with Neil movie. Patrick Harris? Yeah, I did Sweeney Todd with him. I didn't know that. Yeah, up at um, Lincoln Center. Before it came to Broadway, we had a keep surprising Big me. all-star cast. So it was it's my favorite musical. That that Neil Patrick Harris was Patti LuPone. And, um, yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be Bryn Turfel, who's an opera singer. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, of time. course. So they got George Hearn, which was amazing. We had Audrey McDonald, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. I mean, it was an amazing cast. Yeah, I'm sure. I think I think my colleague, Annie, who I work with at the school, I'm, she she goes to New York and she sees them all. She's probably seen every single show that you've worked on, to be honest with you, but I'm sure she saw that one. That's amazing. So anyway, he so he gives it. Yeah, go on. He he give he gives um, Jerry the Tony, mm-hmm. my boss. I mean the Emmy, and he says you just want a Tony. I know. He's like, hi John. <laughs> I'm like, hi Neil. <gasps> That's we amazing. get off stage and you know they bring us into this room, and the the room you you have to check your name to see how it's yeah. spelled. Oh and yeah. Then I'm like, so they're what are they doing? Are they um, are they like putting our names on them right now. And they were like, no, no, we're going to send you your name. That's why we want you to make sure that it's being, um, it's spelt right. And they said, but here's your Emmy. And then you go around the corner and there was like tables and tables full of Emmys. Mm-hmm. So somebody just hands us one. And then, you know, you go and do press mm-hmm. and, you know, you do like a, you know, sort of step touch with your Emmy. You, you know, have a so great picture. I put it on our podcast advertisement because I, I just love that picture. Hope that was okay. I didn't get your permission. No, oh my that's gosh. Fine. I'm in big trouble. Uh, and there was a ton, there's a ton of them, you know, mm-hmm. with all of us together. And my boss, we go into the room and they go, uh, they asked my boss, like, I don't know, some hair question. And my boss, who's such a nerd, goes into this like thing about you know well women got perms during this period and so they went and got their hair set once a week and you know <laughs> where they said it themselves and blah, blah blah and he went into this long explanation of the hairstyle <laughs> and yeah. you could you could see people like the press just looked at him like what the hell and they were like okay that's all the questions thank you and we're walking when i was the last one out what did you say? And, and I stepped up to the mic and I said, you guys, the great Jerry DiCarlo. And they all applauded. And he turned around and looked at us. So then we went out to the lobby, had a glass of champagne, and then we went back to our seats. Now, makeup, the makeup department was with us. There was five of them. Yeah. They didn't win. So it was a little awkward walking back to our seats because we had to sort of walk past them with our Emmys in our hands. <laughs> My niece was just just shaking her head. Oh, she must have had an absolute ball. Yeah, she totally did. And 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 just to be clear, she well, where does she live now? Uh, she lives in Portland. Still in Portland. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, I met her. That's so cool. I was going to ask you weird question. So so there are you do have credits where your your last name is Di Bartolomeo. How often is that, or does it is that done now? Are you always mainly John Jordan, or what? I I just changed it with IMDb. Just uh, changed it, but okay. it said also listed as because yeah, yeah, the yeah, person right. who set up my IMDb account used the name DiBartolomeo, and it took me two years to get it changed to just John Ugh. Jordan. And not all, not even all of my credits are on there on IMDb, so you have to, you know. What is your password? Sometimes say? you have to submit them yourself. It depends on it's a, it's always like the person who's in charge of the movie or the thing that you're working on right, right, who right. submits your name right. and what you're doing. You know, and they do that with with press. It's very it's political sometimes. Sure. So did you party that night? Oh yeah, because then they they you leave there and you go to the governor's ball, which they also paid for, which mm-hmm. was amazing. And I'm standing in line at this uh, Belvedere um, stand mm-hmm. to get a drink. And this girl comes up to me, this waitress, and she says, you know, congratulations on your Emmy. I said, oh, thank you. She says, if you go sit down and put your Emmy on the table, somebody will come over and wait on you. I said, <laughs> oh, really? She said, yeah. So, you know, I went and um, Whit, uh, Whitley, Whit, 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 what's his name? from from. Uh, uh, not Bradley. The West Whitford. Wing, Bradley Whitford. See, I got you covered, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> he was sitting next to me. I said, "Congratulations." My niece was very shy because she sort of had a crush on him. 
I put the Emmy on the table and 10 seconds later, somebody came over and waited on me. <laughs> it's amazing. I was like, Fantastic. okay. I wonder if that would work in something like McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like you just sort of go in, <laughs> sit down, put your Emmy on the table and then a, you know, Big Mac comes over free. Yeah. <laughs> My my friend Sabana, who was one of the people who won an Emmy with us that night, uh, she ran background on on Maisel. We want to put them in our bags, and then when we go to like a set and we do background or something, and somebody gives us a note, I just want to take the Emmy out and put it on the table in front of me. For the record, you just did it. <laughs> that is hysterical. <laughs> I love it. Hey, do you have a pre-show ritual? Because I I'm trying to remember. I don't remember you being a very fussy kind of like you, you, one of my favorite things about you, John Jordan was that you just did not have any stress whatsoever. You you just do your thing. And like, if you have, even if you have an artist who's kind of like, I need the, can you, I need to get that. You're just like, just yeah. chill, chill. I got it. It's fine. But yeah. do you have, did you ever, you didn't have a ritual. Did you, do you have any kind of ritual? No, no not that I know of. Just as long as you get your coffee, I think you're fine, right? Yeah. You know, it depends on where the show starts, you know, or yeah. if you have to, you know, if the show, they they start the show and you then go to that place. But uh, like at Lion King, the show started for me in the wings. So mm -hmm. we did all of our, we did an hour before putting everybody's wing and stuff on. And then at places, you'd go to your place in the wings. Mm -hmm. And so I would watch the opening number every day. You know, and you the the thing that they that a, a lot of people don't realize on Broadway, there's monitors backstage and the monitors have there's two monitors side by side. So mm -hmm. one is of the conductor right. so that if stuff has to be sung off stage, you face the monitor and sing with right. the conductor that conducts you. And the other one is shows you the audience and what they're doing, you know. Right. So that was really interesting to watch every day, you know something was happening, you know, you see people like, you know, crying during the circle of life. <laughs> and I always said, if you uh, saw the show and you watched the circle of life and the, the, um, the animals start to come down the aisles, if you don't cry, then you have ice water in your veins mm. because it's so beautiful that you it just beautiful. automatically cry. I, so I didn't, I didn't get to see your production, although you did take me backstage, which was amazing. Thank you for that. But I did, I did see the West End um, production. I'm not saying, I'm not comparing. It's just the one I saw, and it was, it was moving. It was very moving. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I, I remember. Um. I rem I was. You were talking about the backstage stuff, and it was funny. Um. In 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 L.A. when when I when I had to go on in Virginia Woolf, um, I I just remember you being totally just in my corner and chill, and it was amazing because it helped me out. But also, I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, I was like, oh god, about time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the it's the life of an understudy, right? And of course, you know, um, the great. And of course, Dave. you want the people to do really well. Well, you know? of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want them but I, to do well. So if you can, if you and wardrobe can guide them through it, don't go here, go there, go stand over there. Okay. You know, that kind exactly. of thing. But we certainly had swings, you know, my whole career go on like for the first time and freaked out and, and hair and wardrobe really helps them. No, no, this is where you enter right from here. So that's why, that's why y'all are the unsung heroes. That's what I think. See, and I push for my tech students, you know, I, I always push, well, and actors, I push the idea that, uh, hey, you don't have a show without these backstage people helping you out. So just yeah. remember that. I Keep always that tell young theater people to do every job, do every job. Yeah. Good idea. Try and yeah. do it at least once or twice, if, you know, because yeah. you'd never know, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it gives you an appreciation you know, from like the follow spot to taking tickets, what everybody else does and 100%. how much you appreciate being in that family, you know? That's, I, I mean, I think that is the best advice because, you know, even at these, the, the 14 to 18 year old bracket, 
Um, and you know, my, my colleagues and I, who are just trying to teach the process of theater, a little more difficult virtually, but you know, we're getting it done. Um, you know, it's just that idea of like, you may have a favorite thing, but if you're in an educational environment, you better experience everything that you can. Right. And then later you could go, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I did that. I'm maybe going to probably going to move in this direction, but goodness, I'm, you know, it, it, it made me realize, um, that this is the direction I wanted to go because of the experiences I had. So we'll, you know, we'll continue to do that as educators, hopefully. Um, let's see. I started off in the business as a dancer. <laughs> I forgot about that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. I bet you were amazing. Yeah. As a dancer. And then, you know, as an actor. And so I also had that side of, you know, right. seeing what actors do, you know, and knowing what the process is and how to help them through it because you've gone through it yourself. You know, I've heard you sing a melody or two. I, it's impressive. Listen, nine years of voice training. Yeah. Uh, with a, with a, with a coach and, um, my voice is better now than it ever has been. Really? I think I can hit notes higher than I used to hit them when I was a kid, you know, like in my twenties, I'll be like, God, I can't, that's too high. And now I want, I want to do it. It's all psychological. I, so well, let's make an album. I'll produce it. <laughs> come up with a, come up with a playlist and, uh, and you know, see what we can do. Um, so I was going to, uh, move on to, um, so, okay. Just, just going a little, a little deeper. Uh, I, I'm curious to know, I know that you were saying like you've stayed in and you're obviously kind of like keeping yourself safe and stuff, but, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, someone who is kind of in the in in the middle of a multicultural city, what what is the vibe? What I mean, what what kind of things are going on around you? I don't necessarily mean in the entertainment business, but but just just in general, sort of with the with the public. Well, I mean, I think there's lots of protests happening right now as we mm -hmm. move towards the election. Right. Um, because people are very, very, very unhappy with how they've been treated. Um, and, you know, not just Black Lives Matter, which, of course, is. It's huge in the city. Right. Um, yeah, but not not crazy, unpeaceful. Protests, but definitely protests. The looters and stuff, they're a, they're a separate thing. They yeah. were like, oh, the cops are taking care of this. Yeah. Let's go loot this, you know, which is... It's unfortunate that seems to just happen automatically. I mean, it, you know... Yeah. Which is why he boarded up, they boarded up all of Fifth Avenue so that you couldn't break into the stores right. anymore. Um, but those people who were protesting were not part of that. And the same thing, I think, in Portland, I think, the protesters were peaceful. Mm -hmm. The looters and everything else that happened that was violent, they were a different faction of people who got themselves involved in that stuff. And then, you know, put people at risk. But it's it's been fine here. You know, it's not at all. It's not dangerous. It's not what people are saying. Uh, you know, it's like in Portland, they're so peaceful. Nothing happens, you know. And they try and I think certain certain people try and equate that with it. Yeah. It's not true. It's not yeah. not true at all. Well, I mean, you know, we can nitpick and we can say, well, whatever, this choice or that choice probably wasn't a great one, but but it, it's just amazing how one rumor or just one um, one moment of of let's let's engulf this more than it really needs to be. Um, yeah it just takes off absolutely takes off and it's just it's unfortunate that there are some people out there that that will be gullible and um not do the research for themselves and you know we just have to keep hoping that <laughs> humanity will at some point <laughs> kind of calm down although that's a that's quite a loaded phrase um i, I yeah I, I mean you're you it seems like you you obviously have a lot of acquaintances in the business right um 
artists um, of of all uh, ethnicities and things like that. I mean, I you know, I I'm curious to know um, if you don't mind speaking of it, of like um, as someone from the LGBTQ plus community starting in the business when you did, was it was it did you find it? Um, did you find it kind of an easy transition into it or, or was, did you get pushed back or, you know, and I, and I know that there's a difference between, you know, maybe being marginalized because of your race, but then there's probably similarities, right? I mean, being marginalized because of your sexual identity. I mean, there's going to be a lot of similarities. I remember working in the theater the first week and I thought to myself, oh my God, these are my people. These are my people. (laughs) Like nobody judges you, right. you know, it's, they're, they're worried about, you know, putting up a show Sure. and if you know how to do your job good, then good for you. And there's certainly always, um, you know, negative factions, but I didn't experience any of that. Same with TV film. Same with TV film. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm friends with cameraman and, you know, wardrobe people and it's different from theater because theater it's, you're all in one space and it's so community. Yeah. Every single, you know, like I'm, I usually do changes with a wardrobe person. It's very separated hair, makeup and wardrobe in TV and film. Not, not in a bad way, but just, it's not as community as it is as it. And, you know, because the shows sometimes like, you know, filming Maisel, it only lasted five months, you know, even, even, um, on, on Broadway, if, you know, you were doing a show or off Broadway or regional or a, a bus and truck or opera or whatever, you would do it for a finite amount of time, but you were all working towards that same thing. Everyone's had sort of the same, you know, like, problems and you know happinesses and that kind of thing like some of my best you know friends from from theater are wardrobe people yeah you know i'm still friends with tons and tons of wardrobe people i think because when i first started in the business uh after i decided not to be an actor i was a costume designer and so i i don't think i knew that that's cool yeah i did that for a long time what was your training by the way I'll send you a link to, um, and you know, you can certainly send it to your kids if you want. It's Cinderella. Uh-huh. And uh, my friend uh, that we wrote, I wrote it with the guy, you know, who directed it, uh-huh. uh, did the hair, hair and costumes for it and played one of the stepsisters. <laughs> and we were. Sounds like a British pantomime. <laughs> yeah, it was like a pantomime because the, the producer was like English, British. Okay. And he came to us and said, oh, we'd love to do Cinderella, but we want to do it like British pantomime. So nice. do a little research on it. And we did. And then, you know, we used the uh, the Rodgers and Hammerstein score. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll send you a link because I somebody sent oh, me a link great. recently to the show itself. Oh, that'd be so and, fun. You, know, you can do. send it to your kids if you want. Oh, that's hilarious. Please do. So you did. Yeah, I forgot to say we were we were talking about. um. Uh, we were talking about uh, hair, but 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 you do makeup, and it sounds like I mean you started with costume. What was your what was your training, John Jordan? Where, where did you learn your trade? Well, I I went to hairdressing school, uh, yeah. but um, uh, I learned it in the theater from another hairdresser, and right. you yeah. learn from the people around you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like I had a friend who was. Uh, um, who was my mentor uh, that we lost in the eighties. And uh, he's the reason why I think I'm doing hair now yeah. is because of him. Cause he was so good at it, you know, and he sort of taught me a lot of his, you know, what he knew. And uh, we, we sort of went from there, you know, we did so much theater together, mm-hmm. you know, in the eighties. And then, uh, you know, we were doing, I think we were doing Sugar Babies out at uh, North Shore or one of those places. And uh, his boyfriend got sick. He was the, he was like the, the bit late, made lead, male lead dancer in the show. Yeah. And Jim was doing 
the um, the wigs. So uh, I, you know, sort of went out there to help them do wigs and stuff and get the show up on its feet. Uh, but they had toured with Sugar Babies, you know, with Ann Miller and Mickey Rooney. Oh, wow. You know. Kara Rhodes, um, another one of our students, um, is, is asked, has asked, what was your first show you worked on? And then also she wants to know how you have adapted your professional art form during COVID. Or I suppose it might be, uh, maybe we can reframe that and, and ask, you know, what, what are the plans for any upcoming work for, for kind of dealing with COVID? So the first question was, what was the first show you worked on? And I suppose we should say as a, as a, I don't know, hair or makeup artist, I guess. As, as a professional? To... Yeah. Uh, as a, or in regional theater? Uh, the first show that I worked on, because I was an apprentice at this theater in Connecticut called the Downtown Cabaret Theater. Mm-hmm. And I did um, a show there as a dresser um, and uh, and work on the wigs a little bit uh, called Vaudeville True. Mm-hmm. And then the first show that I sort of designed as a designer was a show uh, based on the movie, uh, based on the album, um, The Point. Um, uh, trying to think who wrote it, but um, you know, me and my arrow is from that show. The Point. Okay. The Point, yeah. Uh, and I designed costumes for that. All the costumes came to a point. I designed wigs that came to points that had to deflate later on in the show. Uh, and you can buy the album. Although, hold on, it's not this nineteen. It's not this nineteen seventy one film with Ringo Starr, Dustin Hoffman, and Paul Paul Freese, is it? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Wait, let me see. It's a musical. <laughs> I have no, a father tells his son a bedtime story about young Oblio. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oblio. <laughs> Who believes that having no point in the fantastical kingdom of pointed heads and things still has a point. <laughs> I think this might be a new this might be a new cult favorite. I think um or at least with myself and maybe my students. So we we're gonna have to check it out. But but to be clear, you did you did you worked on a stage adaptation of it. production of it it's oh. harry nielsen who wrote the music oh harry nielsen of course yeah and uh it was released released in nine late late 1970 and uh i we did it in 75 76 around there um and i wasn't in it but um yeah it's about this kid who gets banished from land point because his head is round and he goes into the what they call the pointless forest to learn that he actually does have a point, and the point comes from your thing. This this sounds rather trippy. I'm kind of excited to watch it, or at least the film. I it's too bad there's not a recording of your your production. There, there should be a recording of it. I bet it's on really? Spotify. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, then I'll have to check it out. And then, so what's it? What you looked that up? But I was what Kara Kara's um second part was just sort of like. What are the plans going into future gigs? Do you know? Or well, like, I mean, I know? think we're all, we're, you know, like what they, it's taken them a long time mm-hmm. uh, to, to figure out what the protocols are to be able to deal with people in, um, uh, you know, like, because you're in everybody's face with hair and makeup. Of course. that's And yeah. wardrobe. So, you know, everybody's wearing a mask. They wear face shields. They wear gloves. They... You get your temperature taken. They mm-hmm. disinfect everything from like friends of mine who are working right now said they have like you know multiple combs and brushes so that uh, oh yeah okay and they have barbicide which is a thing that disinfects combs and brushes so when they use it on one person that goes into the barbicide and then they take a fresh comb and brush out for the next person right it's like the little glass jar. Right with the, the combs yeah, and stuff yeah, in it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's in all like, you know, hairdressers. Classic. Yeah. So I think that's what, what they're doing is they're trying to work work it out. As far as, you know, 
keeping everything disinfected and stuff. What's and Earth so far, we've had no problem. Yeah, it is on Spotify. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. So, okay, you've given so much time. I'm so appreciative. Um, I was going to ask two more questions. One of them was, uh, oh, just about um, Fosse Verdon. What? So you were you did wigs on that? I did. Anytime or, or that you a saw, selection there, of? there was three of us. And anytime they did a, a movie or a musical number from yeah. a movie, yeah, you know, like I think the thing opens with. Um, um, mine hair from right. cabaret we recreated all of those wigs oh, from our research so cool and, and the makeup and stuff and we we probably should i, I don't think he'll ever hear this but we probably should have been nominated <laughs> for that but uh but he nominated strange people the uh, head of the department and you know he wanted he won an emmy that night because he was also there that night being nominated and when you say he, you mean the head of the department. Okay. So anytime you look at at that movie, and there's um, wigs that have been recreated from either uh, uh, the show, like the revival, or the uh, or a movie, we did it. How was Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams? I, Sam Rockwell's would have been one of my favorites for a long time. Oh, he was so nice. He was yeah. so sweet. Um. Uh, Michelle Williams, she, you know, she was very nice, but she very she kept very much to herself. Yeah, and yeah, she yeah. was amazing as Gwen Bird. Sure, like you forget for a minute sometimes that it's it's her. No, she's incredibly talented. But I was curious about the personality. You know, you're always curious about what it's like behind the scenes. Oh yeah, she was very quiet, sort of kept to herself. She was just with her own hairdresser and her own makeup artist and her own dresser. You know, they're just right. like this little group because she was very concentrated where Sam was, you know, just like friendly to everybody. He just seems like he's a gas. He just wants to have a good time. I mean, he's talented. He knows what he's doing, but he just seems like he wants to have a good time. Yeah. And he'd done so much stuff that year. Right. You know, he was nominated for three um, billboards. Right. And W that the thing about George Bush. Oh, that was the- about uh, Dick Cheney. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, of course, of course. W in that. Oh, that's right. The one um, I know what you're talking. Sorry, I was getting confused with the um, W, the film, uh, which from a few years back. But you're talking about the uh, Christian Bale Cheney. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Aaron Sorkin. Did you meet him? I mean, you must have. Yes. Every day we were on set together. Every day. Uh, he was lovely. Yeah. He knew what he wanted. He knew what he yeah. didn't want. Uh, it was very, very decided. Um, the, the The movie just opened, and so it's gotten really good reviews. And they talk right. about his script and about his direction. You know, when we saw the preview for the trial of the Chicago 7, uh, I called my boss, Nathan Bush, and I said, you got to see it because it looks better than we think it does. And he was like, really? I said, yeah. And then they show, like, this first day of filming, they show them protesting against the police that day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was, like, it was really, like, a 17, 18-hour day. It just went on and on. (laughs) And it rained during the day. And, oh, my God. I don't think we left set. We just worked all day long. And it was like that all week long, um, filming in Chicago. And the, the interesting thing to know, like, when you're watching it, so it's supposed to place, take place in like the summer, early fall, uh, right when. Oh, I'm so sorry. We That was a really bad segue on my part. It, we're, we are talking about the trial of Chicago 7, everybody. I just want to make sure we're, we're not talking about Fosse Verdon anymore. No, <laughs> just no. in case anybody was confused. Okay. Uh, so the interesting thing to know, like that's sort of behind the scenes is there's scenes in the park. It was supposed to be warm out. It was 40 degrees. So, you know, we were freezing our asses mm. off with mm-hmm. coats, with hoods and stuff because it was windy. Of course. And all of those Chicago. background people were like tank tops and shorts and stuff like that that day. <laughs> but it looked like summer. It's, it's, it's madness, the things that we do. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm sure 
I'm sure that's a sacrifice that we can take compared to some of the uh, pain and strife that many go through in this world. But um, yeah, it gets cold there. <laughs> it certainly does. I remember when we were there, it was freezing. That um, wind coming off of the off of the lake, holy crap. Um, yeah. I'm going to go back to when I started in, oh, okay. the, in that theater. Okay. So I was in high school when I got involved with this theater. And I went Which two one? years to a regular high school, the, the downtown cabaret theater. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I went two years to a regular high school and two years to an alternative high school, which was very, very big in the 70s. Uh -huh. um, and I went into the um, the, uh, the the guy who was, was like the, the dean. Mm -hmm. uh, his name was Stan Pesca. And I said to him, I want to work on theater, I think. How, <laughs> how can we do that? And he picked up the phone and he called the theater and asked if there was an apprentice director. And they said, yeah, uh, hold on. And they put him on hold and he handed the phone to me. <laughs> and I went there as an apprentice in the beginning in 75. And uh, it was a woman by the name of Susan Antonazzi, who I just had drinks with Aww. recently. And um, she was such a she's she's such a guide you know what i mean she really helped me out in those early years i i always tell people the stuff that i do now in theater and in film is the stuff that i learned back then like mm -hmm. they held me to very high standards you know and so you really need to hold yourself to a high standard is this good enough for people to see um can i do better you know what I mean? No matter what you do in the theater and, you know, or film and television, if that's what you're doing. But even if you're, you know, designing costumes or if you're a wardrobe person, you have to be excellent all the time and hold mm -hmm. yourself to a really high standard. And, and you know, I wanted my advice to like the kids that you teach is to get the education and pay attention to everything. Right. It's great advice. I, you know, it's funny, I, I, you, as you were talking there, I was just thinking, um, you know, technological, technological advances obviously are reigning supreme, but it's so funny to me when, and I know I'm at a high school theater, not a professional theater, but um, when you, you find that sometimes just the old school way is the best way, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure you've experienced it and you probably do it still. You just kind of like, uh, no, I don't need that. I've got my old way and it works just fine. Totally. I do that. <laughs> I yep. love that. And, and it's one of the few places where that can happen, I imagine. And, you know, I have hairdressers that work on things where, like, you know, you're doing a period thing and you should set it a certain way. I find them blow drying it and then using curling irons. I'm like, no, no, just put it in rollers <laughs> and brush it out because that's what you should do. Make a set that makes sense to the hairstyle yeah. and then comb it out. You know, that's what I I still do everything like that, you know. Good, excellent. Um, I'm not great with curling irons. I'm good, but I'm better with rollers and you know that kind of stuff. You're probably that's better than a lot. That's why I get I get I I I get called a lot to do period things, right? Because nobody knows how to do period hair, you know. And being in the theater, it's been you know my privilege to do it all these years, right. So would you call that your niche? Yeah, period hair. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. I love it. Um, you know, in the beginning, yeah. we were all taught how to do makeup, too. And so a lot of the makeup that I learned how to do was self-taught. Mm -hmm. You know, just experimenting and reading. What's the name of that book? Um, there's a, there's a, a book for makeup that we all got, that we all, you know, either had either Bob, either, uh, Bob Kelly kits Mm -hmm. Or Mayron kids that we worked out of, you mm -hmm. know, um, and we just taught ourselves. Sometimes we would go, we would be backstage, and we would try, you know, we would like pick out a makeup and try and age ourselves. Or right, right, right. That's one of my first projects with with my students, and unfortunately, um, 
<laughs> yeah, that's going to be an interesting one when we get there for my tech theater class, because normally I'm with the students and I'm showing them how to to use their own wrinkles and, and make sure you have a reference and and getting that highlight and shadow to 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 pop. And but now I guess I just have to do it on myself and make a video of it. Ugh. Oh, well, it's OK. It's okay. We, you know, we, we on that show, Vaudeville Troop, they taught me how to do this age makeup on this guy because it's about this vaudevillians. There's four of them who go through, like, their careers. Yeah. And then they all end up on Jack Parr, which is, like, you know, the talk show. And I had a quick change with this guy, Jim Murphy. And so we would put wrinkles on his face. Mm -hmm. But the way that we did it was, you know, you would stretch the skin yeah. like that and then put on eyelash glue and blow dry it and then okay. before you let go of it you'd powder it and then when you let go it would wrinkle up yeah it wrinkles up nice yeah yeah and later had... on we, we learned how to do it with like a single ply of a tissue to oh, do yeah, that yeah, yeah yeah nice so we did that well I my students shut so many times man <laughs> my students obviously love the uh the old special effects when we get to the blood and bruises and wounds but um yeah. Um, so a couple. So I was going to ask a couple more things. The first one is I'm going to put you on the spot. And I'm just wondering, do you have, this is going to be really hard. This is like saying what's your favorite movie. But do you have a favorite artist that you worked with? Let's just put it down. Let's, let's put it down to lead, right? Let's not, we won't count anybody who was maybe uh, uh, supporting, even though there are probably some fantastic ones, but who was your favorite lead? Just because the experience was so positive for me and for everybody involved, it would probably be Lou Diamond Phillips, who I'm still oh, okay. With. okay. And um, and Faith Prince. Oh, I just love Faith Prince. She's so she's exactly how she seems. You know, she's just regular and she oozes love, and you just have a good time. You laugh all day with her. Awesome, and that's what it should be. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, okay, and then here's the last thing. So something that um, I'm making a habit with on these podcast episodes is giving little factoids, just kind of like random factoids. Um, I think I started with one about like like snails can sleep for three years or something like that. <laughs> um, so what can you impart to us? Uh, give us a factoid. It can be theater-related. doesn't have to be theater-related. What's something that y you don't think many people know? you have anything? I know. I put you on the spot again. Or or it could be theater-related. Maybe it's a technique. Maybe it's a technique that you use. Um, maybe you don't want to give it away, though. I don't know. Uh, so the factoid I would tell you about, say, theater is really listen to everything that everyone is saying because you never know when it's going to come in handy. You know, like I listen to people every single day and it's the stuff that um, like as a hairdresser, I think makes you more successful is really listening to what the person is saying. Awesome. Um, I, and I, I do that a lot so that later on, they know you've listened to them. You bring it up later right. on. Right. You know, I got to tell you, I, I went for surgery recently, right? So when I interviewed the surgeon, mm -hmm. he wanted, I think he wanted to let me know that he read my chart. Oh. So um, he came into the room and introduced himself and he said, gosh, I wish I, I remembered that you were coming today because I would have had you bring your scissors and give me a haircut. And I thought to myself, Oh. read my chart he knows what i do okay <laughs> there you go so it's not so much a factoid maybe maybe we say so i just like this here's the here's the here's the phrase read the chart <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that it's okay so what do you cook you know, what did you cook tonight script. read the script yeah read the script read the chart read the script read read the faces <laughs> <laughs> read everything my, uh, I, I was doing a play one time I was doing the boys in the band oh and Wait, I which, was playing which production uh, this just a regional production in Connecticut oh okay yeah yeah and I was playing Emery 
um, who's like this, the swishiest of all of them. Yeah. He's the one who brings the food that night. Right. And he eggs on this straight guy and he gets punched in the face at the end of act one and, you know, blood flies and all this stuff. So the second act are supposed to, they're played, they play this game, right? And the game is called the one person you have always loved and tell them that you love them. Um, and it's, it's weird. It's a weird game, but right. Emery has all the pathos in the show. If you read his monologue, yeah. it's super sad because he was in love with his dentist and the dentist, he never told the dentist what he felt because he, the, the dentist was straight. So I would do the monologue and I'd get almost no reaction from the audience. Right. And I thought, what the hell? So, and the director wasn't really great, but I went to a friend of mine who was a director and I said, what am I doing wrong? You've seen it. He was like, I don't want to say. He said, because it's not my show. And I said, why? He was like, it's just not my show. I said, okay. And then he like, we had drinks and he said, okay, I'll tell you. He said, you have to bring yourself to the point of tears and then you have to stop crying. You don't let yourself cry and let the audience do it for you. Mm -hmm. And that night I tried it and I could hear sniffling in the audience, like people were sniffling in the audience. And I thought, huh, that really works. Nice. So so years later, I was working on this uh, uh, benefit with, uh, with Liza Minnelli. Of and, course you did. Yeah. Uh, I said to her, Hi, I said, you know, I love and I show it always on like when you see Liza with a Z or whatever. If you're doing a sad song, your eyes look like they well up. And I said, what is that? And she goes, oh, look above the spotlight. <laughs> and I said, really? She goes, yeah, it makes your eyes look like they're all teared up, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, that's beautiful. That's hilarious. What'd you what'd you make for dinner? Um, t- today I'm uh, I, oh, I made corn chowder with shrimp. Fresh Andrew corn, fantastic cook. Fresh corn and took the corn off the cup because a friend of mine who was vegetarian said, "What well, do you use vegetable stock?" I said, "No, no, I take the corn off the cob and then I take the cobs and I boil them, and for like you know an, an hour." And then I use that as corn stock and put it back into the soup. And they were like, oh, that's so good. And I said, yeah, so if I don't put the shrimp in, it's completely vegetarian. Beautiful. John Jordan, you're a gem. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, and we just wish you the, well, we wish you to break a leg. And um, whatever the projects that are coming up in the future and the next one coming up, um, hope everything goes well. And uh, we look forward to seeing your work, sir. Oh, thanks. Me too. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Pause for Thought podcast. We'll have another episode coming your way soon. We have a set of radio plays that we are currently rehearsing, and they will be aired here on the podcast. The plays consist of Sorry, Wrong Number and The Hitchhiker, both by Lucille Fletcher. They should be fun towards the end of October with the Halloween holiday coming up. Now, I do have a couple people who would uh, like to say hello very briefly. Guys, you want to come on over and say a quick hello? Hi, I'm Lyra. Are you begging him? I am. I hope you heard the show. You like the show. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Be well. Be safe. Be kind.